What's up, guys? This is Michael Bohm with Youth Apologetics Training. Today, we're going to be hearing from Costi Hinn. This is going to be part two of my interview with Costi. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, so we did part one uh, with Kosti Him. This is going to be part two. Kosti, again, if you didn't hear part one and you're wondering about that last name, Him. Him. Where have I heard that before? This is Kosti Him. He is the nephew of Benny Him. Now, um, in part one, we heard Kosti's testimony. It was a lot of fun to hear his testimony of how he came out of the Word of Faith movement, uh, how he has utterly rejected many of the, all of the teachings of his uncle Benny Hinn. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at more of the teachings of the Word of Faith movement and uh, really analyzing them, looking at them closely, and it's going to be really fun listening to Costi's view on a lot of these teachings. By the way, I just got back from the Worldview Weekend Conference in the Ozarks, uh, Osage Beach. It was at the Tantara Resort. It was it was awesome. I got to meet Brandon House in person. Got to meet Mike Riddle in person. Jason Pratt. Uh, Sharam Hadian, Ron Rhodes. It was great. It was such a good time. And uh, something that's kind of fascinating is next year's Worldview Weekend, Kosti Hinn is going to be speaking as uh, one of the keynote speakers for that conference. So if you like what you're hearing here today, you might even consider uh, taking part in that conference. It was well worth it. It was awesome. So uh, also something worth noting is Costi is going to be a guest on Brandon House's uh, Worldview TV. So uh, if you're interested in that, if you like, again, what you heard here today, uh, go to worldviewweekend.com, I believe is the website. If I got that wrong, just Google Worldview Weekend, you'll find it. And uh, uh, shortly, he is going to be recording multiple TV shows uh, with Brandon House. Also, you'll be able to find them on the Worldview Weekend uh, station on Roku, if you guys have Roku. So, uh, pretty exciting stuff. If you like what you're hearing, there's uh, more more interviews with Costi on the way uh, that you can find on the Worldview Weekend uh, uh, TV. So, anyway, with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Costi Hinn. Welcome back to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here again, brother. Oh, it's it's a blessing. Uh, you're so fun to talk to, and, and uh, there's so much to talk about uh, concerning the Word of Faith m- movement, uh, Benny Hinn's ministry. Again, friends, if you missed part one, this is not a trashing Benny session, um, but rather we're looking at the various doctrines that are very um, prevalent in the Word of Faith movement. And yeah, we're going to talk about Benny Hinn because Costi's got so much experience uh, touring around with his uncle. 
But, uh, oh, I should introduce Costi. Costi uh, is the nephew of Benny Hinn. Uh, and if you haven't listened to part one, you really should check that out. Uh, Costi's got a fascinating testimony where he, he actually, along with his father, toured with Benny Hinn for a number of years and has uh, had that experience uh, really just neck deep in the Word of Faith movement and these types of teachings. Uh, so he has a lot to say. He's come out of that and uh, <clears throat> has repented of many of these teachings. Uh, well, I shouldn't say many, all of these teachings, really. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> unless there's yeah, not, one of not, them hide... not holding on to any of them, Michael. I'm not holding <laughs> on to any of them still. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and so, yeah, I apologize about that. Yes, he no, has abandoned all of these teachings. And, uh, and so, anyway, uh, very fun guest to have on the show. So, Costi, let's talk about the prosperity gospel. What is the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel is a take on, well, it's not even a take on the true gospel. It's a false gospel altogether. But if you were to, just for sake of the illustration, it jumps off of what Christ did on the cross, his resurrection, the atonement. It jumps off of the entire true gospel and says, oh, and in all of that, God wants you healthy, wealthy. He wants you blessed. And then the I guess it's bleeding in some word of faith doctrines as well, but you can, you need to speak positively. Uh, God is always in a good mood and he's going to give you everything you want. If you do what he says, and if you say what he says, and if you say it and speak it into existence by faith. And so it, prosperity gospel and word of faith, though they are separate, they kind of go together. And, um, and the main thing though, if you go back to uh, it's John's, other letters. You go from the Gospel of John over to Third John, and it's uh, John writing and greeting his audience, and he says, I wish above all that you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. You remember John writing that. And mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a way that the prosperity gospel actually takes that, and they take it basically and say, oh, God wants above all else that you prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So yes, you're saved, and Jesus did that. But if you're not healthy, you're not living in total victory, which is, if you ever hear Joel Osteen, his favorite thing to say, uh, that you need to walk in total victory because you're a child of the Most High God, he says. And other guys will say, well, if you're not walking in you know, health and wealth, and you're not getting that job and that breakthrough or that, you know, big raise that you wanted or the house that or you're not out of debt, even if you put yourself into debt by making really, really bad biblical decisions um, that Proverbs talks about. And you weren't a prudent steward and you did what the Bible says not to do. Well, don't worry, because if you just believe in the promises of God, he's going to make you rich and you're going to be debt free. And so it's using the Bible as a business tool and marketing to people that Jesus is your magic genie. You can get health. You can get wealth. He's going to give you your best life now. And that would lead me to maybe bring up one more verse, which is John 10, 10, when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Of course, 
He says that the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, being the devil, the enemy. Well, what he's talking about in the context of John 10 is salvation, eternal life, his sheep being drawn to him. He's bringing them into the fold and rescuing his people, of course, from their sin and enabling them to be in heaven forever. The abundant life is eternal. It's the abundant life in heaven. And, uh, of course, prosperity gospel teaches that the abundant life is now. And America is really in a perfect position in all of history. There's never been a nation like America just for this pocket, if you will, of about 50 years now, maybe a little more. But in this last 50 years, we've been incredibly wealthy and successful as a nation. And so in any other time through history, Michael, it would have been laughable to say, the Bible says you can be healthy, wealthy, and all, because you'd look around and go, no, look at the, the death rates. Look at mortality for infants. Look at our, our systems. Look at the poverty of the poor. And look at the world. And life was, you know, there was a level playing field where America has now risen to this capitalistic nation where, you know, if you want it, you believe it, you can do it, et cetera. And so for about 50 years, the attractional church, where life is easy and it's easy believism, the prosperity gospel, where anybody can get rich. And we have our guys on TV that look in their sharp in their suits and drive their Bentleys. That is that works right now because we're in a pocket of history that aren't, but you go to Africa and preach this stuff. You go other places in the world, you're preaching to thousands of poor people and there's one guy with all the money and it's the guy on the stage, but even that now has become very dangerous because the prosperity gospel is so popular in the third world because they want wealth. They want to be freed from their bondage. And that's what makes it so deadly and attractive is it's a uh, way out mm -hmm. of, it's a way out of hardship and it's a way out of poverty. So that, that's a more broad, robust definition, but wanted to give the full picture. Yeah, and and very well done. So drilling down, okay, where where in the world, where in the Bible does uh, positive confession come from? I'll just tell you from my experience. Uh, you know, there are positive confessions and there are negative confessions. And when I walked with the Word of Faith uh, movement, boy, you really had to watch what you what you said. Uh, in fact, you know, I've, I've got a lot of customers that are very word of faith and I had one just tell me recently, he's like, Oh no, Michael, you need to speak faith into this situation. You need to speak life and, and, uh, don't, don't betray any fears that you might have or concerns because that's going to open a door and let the devil in. Where does this come from? Yeah, that is a great question, and I can go to a few places. The, the ones that I remember off the top of my head would be the centurion. I think it's Matthew chapter 8. Do you remember he says, Lord, just speak the word and yeah. uh, for healing? And so, Lord, I, just speak the word. And the, so there's, there's examples like that during Jesus' healing ministry that the Word of Faith movement leaps off of. But you can go back even further. Let's just go right back to Genesis 1 in which God spoke creation into being and go from there. And it's a, it's a leap off of things like that. And that's how, that's the only way I could ex express it is you're taking things that happen in the context of scripture based on a certain situation 
the Gospels being a narrative and explanation of Christ's ministry, not the way that we should claim things into being, but that this man had faith, he understood who Jesus was, and he said, Lord, just do it. Just say it. It'll be done. You're Jesus. That doesn't mean that now you can wake up in the morning and go, well, Lord, I need that raise, so just speak it. But if you speak negatively, that's going to come to pass too. That's from that, and then, of course, going again back to creation, the creative power of God. But there's one deeper caveat here, which is, how, and we've got to ask a question first too, is how in the world do we link Jesus speaking and God speaking things into creation to now our mouth? And that's what the prosperity gospel, and now we need to bring up the word of faith movement as well in a separate vein. They have gone wrong because they have placed the nature and power and authority of the the, the mouth of God, if you will, God's authority to speak things into existence and speak things that will come and be. And they've taken that. And from the Great Commission, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me and then commissions the disciples. And then also uh, that Jesus came and walked the earth as a man, though he was fully God. The Word of Faith movement does a couple of things. They mess with the deity of Christ and the mm -hmm. hypostatic union, which is that Jesus was fully man and fully God, and they swipe off that he was fully God, and more so that he didn't claim he was God. Kenneth Copeland famously uh, took basically from Kenneth Hagin and then going back to E.W. Kenyon. These are big guys in history that started all this stuff. It's not like this was back in, you know, Jesus's day, and there, you know, Jesus had one of the disciples was word of faith. This is made-up stuff that false mm -hmm. teachers have introduced to the church hundred, well, literally tens of centuries after Christ. But in this regard, Copeland loves to teach that, you know, Jesus wasn't really God. He was a man, and he set aside his divine power. And since he could do that, guess who else can? You can, Michael, and I can, mm. and we can all be like God. Now, here's where that all links back to even though E.W. Kenyon is the one we can trace back to introducing it, who was the first to ever say something like that? It was Lucifer in the garden. Right. Oh, Eve, Eve, you surely will not die. If you eat of the fruit, you'll be just like God. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. It undermines the power of God, the authority and sufficiency of his word and says, no, 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 that's not what he meant. If you say this, if you do this, you're going to be just like God. It's undermining the authority of God's word, and the word of faith doctrines do that. And now, of course, if you can be like God, and you are a little God, which is what they teach, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Jesus was just a man, born again, and you could do the same things, well, then why can't you speak your cancer gone? You can. And why can't you speak that Ferrari onto your driveway? Brother, you can. <laughs> and all that starts to unfold. And crowds love it, and they cheer. And then, of course, how does all this end up being so affirmed and the people get so lost? Well, because some rich guys get lucky and buy some things or people do get raises and then in all of this aren't there precious sheep that are being rescued and god is still moving in their lives certainly so somebody maybe does get a raise 
and God provides for them. Well, all of a sudden, the Word of Faith teacher says, see, see, they had enough faith. Come up here and testify. And that used to happen all the time in my life growing up. One or two out of the 200 that claimed it got something just by sheer odds. People are going to get raises in America, right. just because COLA, cost of living adjustment, is going to give people raises. That doesn't mean they spoke it into existence. And, you know, that alone, I use the raise as the example because that's the common one. But mm-hmm. uh, that's where it all goes back to. It reaches back to Christ's deity. You can do it too. Going all the way back to Genesis again, where Satan has been doing this for millennia. You can be like God. He doesn't really mean that. Here's what he really means. And, of course, we get into the pickle we're in today, and we've got to preach the truth and refute error. Yeah, yeah. And and in my experience, I mean, it, it gets pretty obnoxious. I mean, you, you really have to watch your every word. Um, you know, you, you certainly can't say something that uh, uh, would reflect a health problem. So if you're, if you're starting to feel like you're catching a cold – uh, and somebody says, how, how you doing? You definitely don't want to say that you are feeling a little bit sick because that would That's be right. a negative confession. Okay, so now you're lying to yourself and lying to other people when you're saying, well, I feel, I'm, I'm great. I'm feeling good. You know? That's right. And, we, weren't uh, al- we weren't allowed to say that growing <clears throat> up. We could not say, I'm sick. We were only allowed to say, I'm healed. I'm doing great. You know, oh. your, your arm is, your arm is falling off and you're bleeding from your leg. I'm good. <laughs> I'm blessed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm doing great. God. Oh, this, this little thing. No, that's just God doing a mighty work on me. I'm just, like, how in the world, go to the hospital for goodness sake. I mean, yeah, what? Yeah. now I would, now I wish somebody would have said, but, uh, yeah, my mom had a brain tumor. This is, this is actually you know, really personal. I'll share it with you though. Uh, sure. My mom had a brain tumor in, this was just five years ago. And that was a moment where, I mean, we still, we couldn't talk about the realities of that. And what I remember seeing with my family was this massive juxtaposition. In fact, everyone was really feisty during that season, which is normal, right? A mom has a brain tumor. Nobody's happy about it. But what was so uh, unnerving for, I think, my father and all of us. I was actually starting to kind of walk away from that whole teaching. But, of course, it's still my family. I love my mom and was there for her and praying for her. And, um, but in that regard, my we were rattled. And especially those that hold mm. to these doctrines the most yep. in the family, they were rattled to the core. They were frustrated, praying, speaking things. And then what ended up happening thankfully, is the doctors went in, they did what they do, and medicine and medical surgery healed my mom's brain tumor. God, of course, providentially allows that we have that. I'm thankful. So, yeah, Yeah. through the hand of surgeons, and certainly you could say the great physician and his providence, wonderful. But at no time did we speak that tumor away. We couldn't speak the tumor away. I didn't try. I wasn't into that back then anyway. I was already coming out, like I said, but uh, my dad, nobody could, nobody healed my mom. The doctors did. And God allowed that to even unfold in his providential will that my mom would go on and live. But what we've done, 
actually a lot of my family members have taken that story now and used it as a divine healing, as a, that we call it the wilderness experience now, while we is not as in me, but the hens in general, uh, like to refer to my mom's wilderness experience and a tumor and questioning God, but oh, he healed her and oh, he did it. And that's the challenge is now you're telling everybody, hey, you might even get sick. Sure, you might get a tumor, you get cancer, but don't worry. God's just going to use it and he's going to heal you and you're going to be fine. But God doesn't heal everybody. He absolutely does not heal everybody. It's not his will to always heal everybody. Otherwise, everybody would be healed right now. Hospitals would empty if it was God's revealed and decreed will. For every person to be healed now, they would be healed. It's, a, it's scoffing his nature to say that everyone will get healed because his nature is perfect and true. Therefore, if there was healing to be had, guaranteed, don't you think that God would do it? He can't be stopped. And so uh, Jesus in John 5 is my favorite example. We may have talked about this last time, so I'll be real brief with it. But, of course, you remember Jesus in John 5, the healing of Bethesda. There's yeah, starts yeah. in John 5, 1. One guy at the pool gets healed. There's multitudes of sick there. And I could go on. You could go on as well. How many times do we see in Scripture Jesus heal one? And sure, there's various times that he healed all. In Matthew, he healed all. Uh, in an example that references back to Isaiah 53, uh, in Matthew 8, again, that, you know, after Peter's mother-in-law gets healed and Jesus goes on to heal all and cast out demons with a word, literally um, no service and build-up and background music needed, he just did it. And then, you know, other times he didn't heal the entire city. So we just want to be really careful buying into these doctrines and even if you know there's people listening that are living them we really got to go back to scripture and have balance and say sure does god heal still absolutely do miracles happen does the the supernatural god who spoke creation into existence still work in remarkable ways in the lives of his people today absolutely but these aren't blanket things that we can package and sell to crowds that don't know their Bibles. And so Christians alike, kicks alike, we got to know the Bible and the word of God will do the rest through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. Amen to that. You know, I, in my experience too, um, if you are not healed, if you are not walking in some type of a prosperity situation, um, it reflects negatively upon your faith and you in general. Um, you know, I knew a, I knew a couple who were part of a Word of Faith church that I was attending uh, for years. Who they had a child, and the doctor uh, before the child was born said that this child has uh, a major deformity. Uh, that if we do not operate as soon as this child is born, it will die shortly thereafter. Mm. And um, as you might expect, and, and, and I'm kind of curious to know, did you have the concept of word curses? Like somebody could speak negative words and somebody would then label it as a word curse. And then, of course, you'd almost have this very similar to a, a, a deliverance type situation where you're, you're breaking the curse. Yes. Um, well, 
the the doctors declared that this child had this problem and um of course we all got together and we we renounced those words and we broke those word curses and then of course several people stepped forward and started prophesying and oh god's already shown me that this child's going to live and that we need to stand in faith and claim claim his healing you know and 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 walk in it right well as you might expect that the child was born uh, the de deformity was there, and uh, yeah, the child died uh, shortly wow. thereafter. Mm. It was traumatic. It was terrible. Uh, there were several people that left the church over it. The couple that had that happen, of course, they left the church because um, other people are looking at them like, wow, you you of little faith, yeah. you know? You guys didn't walk in these words. You didn't claim it. You didn't, uh, you know, and, and really, if anybody in the world, uh, of anybody, they walked in it the most. I mean, if this really was, you know, you have to step out in faith and you need to claim these healings and this, that, and the other, they told the doctor, no, we're going to trust in God. And they walked out in faith and it, and, and, you, know, you can't push God in a corner. You can't just say, God, I believe this. I declared it. You need to do something. That's right. And and that's basically what this these types of doctrines do. I claimed it. I believe it. God, you have to do it. And uh, no, God's sovereign. He's that's above right. all that. He chooses who he's going to heal. And um, it was a horrific thing to witness. And even when it was going down, I, I was already starting to um, have concerns and doubts about the belief system that I had been a part of. And even when it was going down, I kept thinking to myself, this is very dangerous. This reminds yeah. me of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and refusing blood. This reminds me of uh, Christian science and people refuse, refusing various types of treatment and dying. Um, <clears throat> this is the kind of stuff that uh, could end somebody's life as it did. And um, oh my, yeah, it had 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 some local news channel got a hold of that story. Oh boy, yeah, that would have really made everybody look terrible but uh the the couple is is still walking with the lord uh today um yeah but uh, yes absolutely but what a just a, a terrible thing uh and and okay nice little segue here but uh part of this was also um attributed to this healing in the atonement doctrine uh, Isaiah yeah. chapter 53 verse 5 and and going you want to talk about let's talk about this healing in the atonement what is that and um now where does that come from absolutely yeah there's uh <clears throat> when you were talking I flipped over to uh Romans 10 and then also was remembering a song we used to sing when I was a kid and the choir would sing it and it was all jumpy in the service and the line that in the song was all word of faith said whose report shall we believe we shall believe the report of the lord and the song of course was about speaking things and god speaking things and 
we did the same thing. Yeah, to just go back briefly to your point about the couple, uh, we don't believe what the word of doctors, we believe the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is, of course, pointing back to Isaiah 53, like you've mentioned, and a famous line, mm-hmm. by his stripes, you or we are healed, and more accurately, maybe by his scourging, we are healed. Isaiah 53 is a passage that gets taken out of context a lot, and to be yeah. fair to it, um, it's it's mentioned in the New Testament. There's seven mentions, there's six passages that deal with it. One of them talks about it twice, but it's a salvific passage. I'll start with giving the answer away. It is a a full uh, focus on salvation. It is not about how Jesus' death means you're guaranteed healing now in your life. Now to kind of spoiler alert again, to give another answer away, was physical healing in the atonement? Of course it was in heaven, eternally. Was Was your glorified body that's promised in 1 Corinthians 15, that's laid out by Paul, is that something that was in the atonement? Yes. Is the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10, is eternal life, John 3.16, the most famous evangelizing gospel passage in the history of mankind, is, was, was the atonement covering everything for heaven? Absolutely. Eternal life, eternal rewards, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, a glorified body, an absolute perfection and glory. Yes, Jesus paid for it on the cross. He bought it for you. And that's why your first death is not the end of you if you're in Christ. It is appointed to a man once to die. So you will die an earthly death. No matter how many things you speak by faith, you will be in a box and everyone will order flowers and run a slideshow on the screen. And hopefully if you're a Christian, they'll call it a graduation and a celebration. And that will be, nobody's getting away from that. Two things are guaranteed in life, Mm -hmm. taxes and death. And you're going (laughs) to go in that box and be in the ground. And then if you're a believer, when you walk into glory or however we go, you float, whatever it's going to be like, you, you're, there it is. Everything Christ bought and paid for is there for you, but it is not a temporal guarantee. Notice I'm saying not a temporal guarantee. Is the reason people get healed today because Jesus died on the cross? Uh, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. Is the reason people get healed today Mm -hmm. because God is merciful and compassionate? Yes, but he's also merciful and compassionate to the couple who miscarries or to the person who dies of cancer. He's still merciful and good regardless of our circumstances. So we want to be really careful saying that even when people get healed, oh, that was in the atonement. Well, the atonement satisfied the wrath of God, and the atonement doesn't have any cracks. It's not like a dam that's falling apart with little cracks in it and water seeping through. The atonement was perfect. It was fully paid for. So it's impossible for the atonement to heal you, Michael, but then not heal me on this earth. So really, healing now is just the providence of God his sovereignty, and we ought to praise him when we're healed, and we ought to praise him when we're sick. But in heaven, Amen. it'll be perfect. So back kind of more deeply into Isaiah 53, I would look at it this way. As you go through the passage, there are so many references. 
verse after verse that are pointing to what he did on the cross, paying for our iniquity, our transgressions. These are not words that point to your cancer. These are words that point to the sickness of your soul. And God, the Father, caused iniquity that we deserved, the iniquity of us, to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, verse 7 says, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that's silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. And then back to verse 4, surely he, our griefs he bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. So pierced through our transgressions, it's pointing to our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, again, pointing to sin. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, so God's punishment went on Christ for us, and by his scourging, we are healed. That is not a leap into physical sicknesses. That is just a final statement in verse 5 that says, By his scourging, your soul was made healed, made right, made complete. There's nothing left to do. You're going to be in heaven if you are a believer in Christ. And uh, to finish this off, I do want to mention the one passage, well, there's two, but one in particular I want to deal with. Matthew 8, 14, 17, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Then he proceeds to heal all who were brought to him. He casts out evil spirits with a word in verse 17. And all of this does not point to a blanket promise that everyone's going to get healed, or even that, oh, look, this verse gets mentioned. The healing was in the atonement. We need to claim it now. You need to receive what Christ bought for you. No. Matthew wrote his gospel to what kind of audience? Who was his audience? It was a Jewish audience. That's what the, the bent of Matthew's writing. And he focuses a lot on messianic prophecy. As Jesus mm-hmm. is healing all, what does that explain and do and confirm for the people watching? It's to fulfill, and of course, literally, that's what verse 17 goes on to explain. In order to fulfill Isaiah 53, 4, how would people know that he was the Messiah? How would they know that Christ was standing right in front of them? Because he literally fulfilled Messianic prophecy, healed unquestionably all who were brought to him. And there it was. The Jews would stand there and say, that's him, the one who heals all, the one who casts out an evil spirit with just a word, the one who does it just at the snap of his finger. Surely he is the Messiah that was prophesied of by Isaiah. This is the one. So that is the one that deals most with healing. But my favorite part about this discussion is most, if not all of the rest, are dealing with sin and salvation. My favorite one to talk about would be Acts 8. Do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip evangelizes? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He basically walks up, I'll paraphrase, I like to say it like this. Philip basically walks, walks up and goes, hey, what you reading? You know, and the guy says, well, I, I'm reading this here, Isaiah. And it's Isaiah 53, 7 to 8 that you can see his cross-reference in our Bibles. And Acts 8 goes on to describe Philip, starting from that place, preaches Christ to him. The eunuch then says, oh, water, what prevents me from being baptized? He goes on, he gets saved. And a passage that Word of Faith and Prosperity preachers have grabbed onto to make all about 
sickness and all about the healing that's in the atonement has been terribly butchered. It is a salvific evangelistic passage. It is also a prophecy, and we need to remember that if we're looking at the Bible effectively and systematically and properly, then we need to understand um, you know, I get it. Some guys, if you're, you're a covenant guy and you believe Israel is the church, and if you're on the other side kind of saying, well, I think there's a distinction, at any rate, we can agree that Isaiah 53 is not your blanket promise passage so that everyone can get healed. It's focused on salvation. And, uh, you know, thanks for letting me kind of go on my monologue. I, I like to preach. I'm a preacher, and so there's my sermon for the day. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Um, <clears throat> it, it, you know, this might be a little bit of an argument from silence, but uh, uh, you also notice there in that passage that when that eunuch was saved, um, you know, a eunuch has a particular uh, piece that has been removed. That's and right. It doesn't say anything about his. Oh, that's <laughs> a great point. Doesn't say anything point. about his healing. That's a great point, Michael. Uh, I never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I've never been a eunuch myself, but I would yeah. imagine that if I was in his shoes, uh, I would be hoping for a healing in that category. Can we can we <laughs> say it without being disrespectful? Can we say, I think, can I, is it okay, like if you were to say, well, I'm going to say it anyway, but castration, I believe, would have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, not to be rude or vulgar, but that, we we got to just go, this isn't like a, um, a circumcision or something simple that we see in the Bible. This is like a full removal of something. That is a great point. You'd think that Oof. you know there would be some sort of healing or some putting back of a body part that's removed. Um, remarkable. Sure. Remarkable. That's absolutely. I mean, that you're not going to hear that though. They're not going to bring that up, and that's the point: is they are using scripture and using the gospel. Uh, to create another gospel. And uh, yeah, great point. Great point. Hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that I see uh, a lot of cults do this, they'll grab a hold of a scripture or two, maybe string together a couple of them, but they're fairly obscure scri uh, scriptures that are you know, clearly taken out of context. And they'll put them together and say, now this proves this other doctrine that we hold. Okay, but you never are able to find a clear and obvious plain passage that just flat out says what they're trying to prove. Yeah. Right. Is there anything at all whatsoever from the New Testament that would or the Old Testament for that matter, that would be a powerful proof text for this healing in the atonement doctrine? The simple answer is, is absolutely not. There's right. nothing there. Um, in fact, even if you look at, you know, the feasts, the feasts of the Lord, they're always prophetically looking forward to something about Christ. Well, when you look at the Passover, um, when you look at uh, even the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, there's nothing there. It's talking about redemption and... and um, our sins being blotted out and that God's judgment passes over us. There's nothing there, nothing there that would 
would allude to some type of phys physical healing. But then if you look at the lives of the apostles and how amazing these guys were, I mean, they were willing to be sawn in half and thrown off of buildings and stoned to death and crucified upside down and, and so many other ways. You look at them and they still had health problems. Absolutely. They were all growing old. Uh, you know, we, we hear about uh, Timothy had some type of a stomach problem. Paul had some thorn in his side. I, I kind of tend to believe it had something to do with his eyes. Um, <clears throat> but none of them were walking in perfect health and certainly none of them walking in perfect wealth. You know, none of them had some type of, you know, wealth thing going on. Now we do know that they drove a Honda. Um, they, they somehow they had a Honda between them because they were all of one accord, but you know, <laughs> no, you didn't. Beyond that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I did. That is funny. Uh, anyway, I don't, I really honestly uh, don't remember ever hearing that. And I grew up in this movement. How did I miss that joke growing? Up? I should have used that one long time ago. Um, that's great. Oh, that is so great. Yeah. You think, uh, that, at the end of their second Timothy, Paul's wrapping up his letter and you know, this one too, as well. He says, Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Um, I mean, what do you do with that? The apostle Paul right. left him sick. If, and this is the guy who, you know, said, you know, send Mark, he'll be useful to me for service in the same vein as he's wrapping up his letter. If the guy wanted men to join him in service, you think he would just heal Trophimus and say, Trophimus, let's go. Mark, come on. You know, he's got ministry to do yeah. and places he wants to go. So I always find it to be a great illustration that, you know, you're you're seeing a if you're if you're looking at it from a cessation view, maybe you'd be saying, Okay, there's a there's a slow fading as the church is being established now and the canon is being compiled and finalized. But if you're an open but cautious guy, you're on the charismatic camp, I'd still put it to you, and I think everyone would still agree, if you're looking at it through a biblical lens, that no matter what, on that issue, we got to all agree, there is no blanket guarantee, and if we're talking about a wielding of gifts, or we're even talking about atonement setting the course for perfect health, and all that prosperity stuff, it just, you can't find it. You cannot make those guarantees based on what we see in Scripture, so uh, yeah, there great point again michael that you've pointed to and i totally agree and something else that's worth mentioning and I, and I think i've mentioned this in other podcasts in the past but when you look in when you're looking at these these uh various big named teachers out there that are teaching these types of things uh you know benny hinn uh kenneth copeland uh, Bill Johnson, uh, I've heard, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Todd Bentley, he's brought it up. Uh, yeah. uh, Rick Joyner, Lou Engle, um, and all of them, really, that are teaching this. They all have various health problems. Many of them wear glasses. Oh, yeah. uh, you always hear stories about some of them going in and out of the hospital with various things. I mean, these guys are supposed to be the giants of the faith, right? I mean, that's what they're trying to portray and yet they're all still having health problems. Paul and Jan Crouch, um, 
boy, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't both of them pass away recently? Yeah, both of um, them did. Yeah. Um, and, and they were teaching these types of things. The fact of the matter is, we're all getting old. I like to look in the mirror and think that um, I'm getting younger and better looking, but let's be let's be honest here. I'm getting old, and I didn't need glasses five years ago, but here I am. I'm wearing glasses. And all these other guys, you know, they're getting old. Their hair's turning gray and they're having health problems. You know, they still have to go in for their checkups. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, it's it's it it uh, it definitely uh, reveals the situation when you have men who teach one thing, but the way they live is completely different. Yeah, when Jude, they still have oh, to go. No, go right ahead. No, I was I was just again I, I thought of Jude and his words when he said that they're they're uh, hidden reefs at your love feasts, and you know basically they're clouds without water. They're he calls them autumn trees, doubly dead, uprooted, twice dead, um, wild waves of the sea casting up their foam, their shame. It's it's obvious that you know you're gonna we're gonna see changing stories um they're going to wiggle on doctrines that they've taught that's why jude says originally that they've crept in certain persons have crept in unnoticed these guys are sneaky they're getting in there and they're mm -hmm. twisting and changing and uh, everything you said is completely dead on i mean that's the movement that's what we did i think even me i, I was in there and uh even though I questioned it, I blindly believed that what we were doing was the way to do it. And then when you have preached or taught or even bought into a belief system that says you have the authority like God and you are like a God and you're a mini version of God, then and there's open revelation, right? There's all that still continuing special revelation. Oh, yeah. You're what can touch you? What can control you? Nothing. So even if you teach something or you do something that's unbiblical and all the guys like you get on the podcast and go, hold on a minute now, and you put you play the clip, <laughs> and the, the guy still says, well, God spoke to me clearly. The word of the Lord came to me. And they put themselves on this holy man pedestal in which they have a direct line to God. And so that's a tactic that you'll see a lot of the time. And then the other one, would be this is just kind of con men stuff when they do get sick when they do have a heart attack or a heart issue when they do get hospitalized or when they get pushed into a conversation that they don't really want to be in by a news reporter or maybe a guy like you or me questioning they say well hold on now i'm not the healer jesus is the healer i'm not god Jesus is he is the one who decides I you can't expect me to answer all the I there's some things we just don't know and those of course are the moments that they're just trying to get out of that conversation get back into their Bentley drive back to their mansion and live large and in charge and keep deceiving all of their people so that's I mean pretty much Jude called it like it was and to your point I just wanted to you know bring that up and really make sense of it all and, and bring Bible along with it. Cause yeah, you and I are both I think really on the same page that the experiences and then what the Bible says, they're just, they're identical, aren't they? The way the Bible points to this. Mm -hmm. 
You know, okay, so when these guys speak, it's as if they're claiming that God is speaking to them. And so when they say something that, you know, God told me this or God told me that, um, I've always seen that as basically a claim to what I'm about to say is equivalent to scripture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When you're saying that the Lord spoke something through you, you are saying in essence that uh, your words hold the same weight as that of, of the inspired writers of the Bible. Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, one of the first editions of uh, Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, she yeah. actually came right out and made that claim. I mean, she flat out said, these are the words of Jesus. They are equal to scripture. Yeah, in the beginning, and, you remember, uh, yeah, in, that, in her intro, she <laughs> said, you know, I know God gave us the Bible, but I yearn for more. Absolutely, yeah, keep going. That's a great point. And it's, it's so very dangerous. And then, of course, uh, we commoners, you know, we're not the prophets. And when we try to question something now, I mean, you can take the words of two different prophets and match them up and find that they contradict each other. You can find the words of these prophets and they will contradict the Bible. But when you question that, um, you find yourself in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, okay, as far as your your um, experience with running with Benny Hinn and uh, his ministry, what types of things would happen to somebody who would question Benny? Oh, the famous line, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm, <laughs> you better not speak against a quote-unquote man of God. That's the line that you're told, and I mean, that puts the fear of God in people. When I was growing up, we had a few people in our church that came against my dad and my uncle, and they happened, one of them happened to die a really painful death. Um, Ooh. and was, her body was attacked with, with lots of tumors. And I, you know, I don't know, she was pretty vocal and she did attack, you know, and go after the church and all. I mean, it was, it was a bad situation, but, um, yeah, I, I still to this day, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to say that that was because she went after my uncle or my father. That was just what happened to her but because that was you know, something she did my family rode that one all the way home and we used to tell the story mm. don't touch God's anointed and we would tell the story about the woman who came against them but then whose body was attacked with tumors and here's the here's the rub with that if you just go to the Bible on it um, I'll go two routes with this and kind of tie it off. Just give me a couple minutes to explain it. First of all, what, you know, First Samuel 24 is the chapter when David has the chance to kill Saul. Psalms 105.15 kind of comes into play, right? That's in the Psalms, the, 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 the line, do not touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Basically, it's don't kill a monarchical king in the lineage of Israel. Don't do that, and don't commit a physical act of violence against a prophet or, or kill them. So, number one, you know, nowadays I look back and go, yeah, my, my, my family's told me many times, you know, my dad and I, we 
still have a communicable relationship, but it's very, very limited because um, of what a lot of my family does. And I'm, I'm very hesitant to get into deep relationships with any of them anymore just because they're still doing all of this. But, you know, they say, Cosby, please be careful. Don't touch God's anointed. Uncle Benny's still an anointed man of God. Um, we don't want you to get cancer. We don't want the kids to die. We don't want anything to happen to your family. And um, if it was anyone else, I'd say, are you are you threatening me physically? But I know my family is really just doing the don't touch God's anointed. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I, I said to my, my uncle one time, this is recently one of my other uncles called me. I said, absolutely. I'm not going to kill Uncle Benny, and I'm not going to commit any physical acts of violence against him, if he really is a monarchial king from the lineage of Israel or a true prophet. And I'm, of course, saying that facetiously and was just being funny about it, but also being biblical. And then uh, in one regard, my family, one of my family members said, you know, you need to be really careful because he's a prophet of God. And I just said, if we're going to use Old Testament lines like that to put fear in people, then we got to go back to Deuteronomy 18 and we have to weigh Uncle Benny and he has to weigh himself with what the Mosaic law said, I think it's 18 verses 20, it starts at verse 20, where a prophet that speaks presumptuously, you don't listen to him, you don't fear him, but he he actually dies. And so I said, so, you know, I guess Uncle Benny will have to die then, I guess. God's going to strike him dead because he's spoken many documented false prophecies. Is that what we're saying here? Well, right. And those were statements, you know, yeah. According to the law, you would have to take a false prophet outside the camp and stone him. That's right. Which I I, I do not I do not support that type of action That's nowadays. Right. We're not going to take any false prophets outside of the camp That's and stone right. him. But but God's character is is immutable, and uh, you know we're we're talking about a God who does not look kindly upon those who speak presumptuously, who put words in God's mouth, who say. God told me this. God told me that. That's right. Uh, it's a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. Um, you know, something else, the the whole touch not the Lord's anointed. Well, David did confront Saul on mm-hmm. multiple occasions, not with force, but with words and tried to reason with him. That's right. You now, remember that. So really, if, if, if somebody was to equate questioning a prophet's quote unquote prophet's authority is is touching the Lord's anointed, um, wouldn't that also carry through back to the scriptures? And, you know, David, he was not touching the Lord's anointing or anointed, but he did confront him. Yep, that's um, right. And he disagreed he disagreed with Saul in in the public square. I mean, people knew that he was in disagreement with Saul's uh, uh, actions as king. Right, absolutely so, right. But uh, it is it's it's terrible, yeah. Because people will live in fear; they're so afraid to point out an inconsistency, a false prophecy, uh, something that doesn't feel right, a bad teaching. You know, maybe uh, the the apostle or prophet makes a prophecy, and you you know somebody in the congregation looks in their Bible and says, "Wait a minute, that doesn't fit. That just does not fit." But they they live in fear. They don't want to say anything. Um, and and I've experienced that too. And I I I've actually have heard, you know, your your story about uh, the 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 poor woman with the tumors. Um, I I know people who have 
similar stories, which yep. I'm kind of shocked when they when they say that that you know God would just strike somebody down for questioning somebody's doctrine. Yeah. You know, uh, the Bible that I read, <laughs> you know, Paul commends the Bereans in in Acts seventeen eleven for searching the scriptures daily and finding out whether or not what he was saying was true. That's right. And, you know, and, and so we should be, you know, test all things, prove all things, hold fast to that, which is good. We should be looking at what people are saying and testing it in light of the scriptures. I mean, we've got people running around claiming to be Mormon prophets. Should we not test them as well? Right. You know, we've got the Watchtower magazine. We test that. We really should. We've got people like Neil Donald, Donald Walsh, who is a very prominent New Ager, claiming that he's channeling the words of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's got books called Conversations with God and similar ones like that. We need to, when people say that they're hearing from the Lord, we need to test them out. And right. Um, the testing should be pretty thorough and it, it has nothing to do with God's curse being on us. It's rather, uh, we need to find out if this person's from the Lord or not. And, uh, it's, it's really that simple. And, and again, a lot of these, these, uh, guys who are claiming that the Lord is speaking through them. Um, I, I think some of them really are shysters, uh, you know, hirelings, but some of them, I'm convinced some of them really do love the Lord. They're good Christian. Well, wait, let me back up. <laughs> they, yeah. they love the Lord. I believe that uh, some of them might even be saved, um, but they're still teaching false things. Yeah. You, and it, it's got to yeah. be dealt with. That's right. Um, you know, we, totally we love them. We love them enough to tell them the truth. And we want to warn other people about them and, it's not a smear campaign. It's not a hate campaign. <laughs> it's just uh, uh, the the Lord is very concerned about doctrine, and therefore so should we be. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a delineation. I think you, you made a great point that we need to understand. There are Philippians 1, guys who are preaching and teaching from pretense, like Paul said, and then he said, whether in pretense or truth, so long as Christ is preached, guys that are preaching out of selfish ambition, um, they're using, you know, a platform of some sort, they're preaching, they're doing all of this to make money or to be somebody and to do all that. Um, and that's not to, to, to put down all the guys that are trying to be somebody for Christ. I mean, if you're any kind of uh, passionate Christian, you want to stand before Christ one day like Paul and have said, I have fought the gut, the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Who doesn't want to have been a warrior for Christ? If you're a man who loves the Lord. Um, so in that regard, there's nothing wrong with ambition for serving the Lord prominently, but there's the guys that pretentiously, they were just trying to collect a paycheck, you know, stay under the radar, be somebody, go home, have it comfortable. And, you know, not like Paul getting shipwrecked, going hard, losing relationships, getting beat up, almost starting riots. I mean, that was Paul. And then, you know, the, the comfortable, maybe in nowadays terms, your, your 401k padding pastors that just kind of want to hang out and do easy church. Like it's a career. Then yep. you've got your second Timothy three 
um, evil men going from bad to worse, the imposters who are deceiving and being deceived. You've got guys that, you know, they're, they actually think what they're doing is true. And we need to pray for them, right. evangelize them, reach out to them and go, listen, brother, you're well, not brother, but listen, friend, you're wrong. Um, to be a brother in Christ, you need to preach Christ properly and you're, you're false. You're being deceived, come out from it. And then there are the evil men deceiving. And I think even some of the guys we've mentioned, um, they're deceiving and being deceived. They're, they're kind of on both ends, but, uh, they match what the scriptures teach about false teachers and they need to be dealt with accordingly. So yeah, great point. Mm. So as we're wrapping things up here, <clears throat> the million dollar question, and I understand that there are no silver bullets out there, <laughs> but, uh, uh, do you have any suggestions, uh, or, or thoughts on how, my listeners can reach friends and family who are part of the word of faith movement. How, how can they approach them and try to hopefully um, persuade them to get back to the Bible and, and leave some of these doctrines? Great question. The first is if they don't come to an understanding themselves, meaning our, our the listeners, the people listening right now, our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ who know they're believers, if they don't come to an understanding, you and I both as well, that um, division is going to happen and that we're going to be mistreated. We're going to lose relationships. And we, if, if we're not willing to do that, uh, we're not really not worthy of following Christ. It's Matthew 10 that points specifically to that. Essentially, you could just, with one line, explain it. Jesus is the dividing line. So first, we've got to understand that we're going to lose people. We're going to lose relationships. Yeah. And we can't be shocked. We can't go down in the dumps. We can't act defeated and say, well, I just don't, I'm not willing to go to war over this. And I'm not meaning physically fight people and that kind of war, a truth war. Um, that's what I'm referring to. If we're not willing to lose something and deny ourselves, then we got to start there. Don't even worry about trying to evangelize all your Word of Faith family members if you yourself aren't willing to take a step of faith and lose something. You've got to deny yourself. Otherwise, your witness is weak and your gospel is soft. And Jesus said, you know, if anybody uh, wants to be a disciple, you've got to basically take up your cross and follow me. If you don't deny yourself, then you really aren't worthy of following Christ. And so the first step is to understand he's the dividing line and to be willing to deny yourself. Now, if somebody is willing to do that, from there, you've got to go and relationally attempt to love that person, win that person into an opportunity where you can share the truth. Um, I wouldn't be sneaky about it and, you know, just happen to get a coffee and happen to, oh, I've, I've got my Bible here. I, I thought of you this morning in some verses, and don't be sneaky about it. Just tell them, hey, I'd love to discuss some things with you. Would you be willing to get together? And, um, you know, or, hey, I, I was thinking we could start doing a Bible study together. I love you. I know we differ on some things, but maybe there's some things we could study together. I think relationally reaching out, that's different for some people. Because if you're like me and you got family members that are false teachers, well, you know what the Bible says about that. I'm not inviting Uncle Benny to lunch today to talk doctrine. Um, he's a wolf, right? He's false teaching. And 
Second John 9 through 11. Specifically, I don't need to be greeting my uncle and acting like we're buddies. I need to avoid him. He's very, very dangerous. And he can come to me. He, he knows my email address. He can call me. He can show up at my house and say, hey, I'm here to repent or I'm here to, to hear you out. And we'd sit outside. I'm not going to invite him in my house until I really hear that he's changed. Those are all normal things. But for most people, for most of us, these are just family members that are caught up. And people are very emotional, and they're holding on to their favorite faith-healing teacher. And so we need to forge relationship and be able to be calm and clear. And so that would be one thing. So first of all, deny yourself. Understand he's the dividing line. Two, work relationally to get together with people and base it on Scripture. And then third, trust in the sovereignty of God. The reason why a lot of Christians get angry that their family members don't hear them out and don't believe them, or that everyone didn't come forward at their Easter lunch altar call, you know, when everybody's at lunch and the one, the, the zealous family member stands up and says, now listen here, all you apostates and you family members of mine, you need to trust Christ. And you're trying to do the extra altar call that the pastor couldn't pull off. Or, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I don't really think we need to be doing altar calls. People need to surrender to Christ, not just repeat a prayer. But my point is, you're not going to win anyone by getting all angry and yelling at everybody and coming off like you're so rattled over something. You got to be calm. You got to be confident. You got to be collected and you got to understand salvation belongs to the Lord. You are the bastion of truth, there of truth. The Holy spirit is the one that guides them into that truth. So just do the job, do the work of an evangelist, exhaust yourself with love and with patience and with gentleness, giving the gospel to the people but there's no need to yell at anyone or get angry and, and act as though you're the sovereign God they need to bow to. Put the truth in front of them. And then if they don't like it, say, well, I'm going to keep you in prayer and pray that God softens your heart. You know my position on your errors. You know my position on what you guys believe and teach. It's contrary to what I see in the scriptures, but I still love you. You're still my family members, but... Uh, you know, I hope we can enjoy the limited relationship that we have. You know, I'm not going to go send my kids over there and hire them to be my babysitters, but I can still act cordially and realize that God is sovereign in salvation and yelling at anyone and, and making a big deal just ruins our witness. If you really believe the scriptures, then you will just say it and do it, live it, pray it, and trust the Lord. So I hope that helps, and I hope that makes sense. But it is easier said than done. And it really is. Amen. That was great. And I totally agree. Your approach, your tact is is everything. Uh, when you when you jump into these situations with, you know, both barrels loaded and, yeah. and you know, you're going after somebody and you might even be calling some of these uh, um, false prophets devils or, you know, these types of things where you're being really abrasive in any witnessing encounter, when you start getting abrasive, um, you've, you've pretty much lost. Yeah. Uh, your, your witness is going to go nowhere at that point because people are going to dig in the heels and, and they're not going to want to hear what you have to say. But when they know that you really care yeah. and, and that you love them and that you're concerned, even if they don't agree with you, they they still connect with that love and that care. That's right. And they're more willing to consider what you have to say. So, 
Yeah, excellent, excellent answer. Yeah, we all blow it. Um, we all blow it, that's for sure. You know, <laughs> I, I'd be lying if I said I haven't had a few heated discussions with my family members and begging them and even yeah. raising my voice and saying, please, please stop teaching that. Surrender to Christ. And you know, pulling off my best Paul Washer impersonation. I, I get it. I mean, we've all <laughs> we've all had the the moment where we're just, you know, through tears, we're, we're passionate, we're, we're yelling or we're saying, please yeah. just stop. And but, you know, you, you got to keep going back to true north and true north is trust the Lord. Yeah and do the work of an evangelist. So, yeah, thanks so much, Michael. I love talking with you, man. This is great. It has been great. And um, I, I, I haven't quite figured out something to talk about next, but sooner or later, I'm going to call you back up and try to get you back on the show because, yeah, I love talking to you. And, and we have a lot in common. We've both been through a lot of this stuff. And, uh, well, let's face it, the Word of Faith movement, there's so much to talk about within that movement so much going on so um certainly it was it was an honor and a blessing to have you back on. Oh, thanks yeah. for thanks for coming back on my the show. privilege and enjoy talking about the lord with you and i'll keep you in prayer call me anytime and uh, we can do this again whenever you need or whenever you want sure do love you brother well all right that's it guys for today again that was costi hen uh, friends, by the way, and I mentioned this on the last podcast, I really need to start plugging this now as the time is getting short. Uh, but on May 20th and 21st, there's going to be a free apologetics conference, and I'm going to be one of the speakers. Uh, it's going to be at the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana. Again, that's May 20th and 21st. Uh, this is a totally free conference. Jason Oaks, who has been a guest on this program several times, I should say Pastor Jason Oaks, uh, he is the pastor of the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Roundup, Montana. He's putting this conference on. He's going to be one of the speakers. Of course, I will be one of those speakers as well. There's going to be Tom Iverson, Abigail McCoy. We're going to hear from Ross, oh boy, I hope I don't mispronounce his last name, but Lyulin. Uh, we're going to hear from Mike Mitchell, Clinton Wilcox, John Duckworth, Marsha Montenegro, you guys should recognize that name, David Lodwig, and uh, Brian Chilton, Caleb Lapore, Lonnie Schrag, uh, and possibly more. Stay tuned for that. So if any of you have questions, yeah, please contact me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, and please, if you are anywhere close to there and would like to spend the weekend hanging out with cool people such as me, um, <laughs> we would love to have you. It's going to be a blast. So uh, please think about uh, visiting us and coming down or up, as it, as it were, to see this conference. Next week, we're going to be hearing from David Harrison. We're going to be talking about theistic evolution. And with that, love you guys. See you next week. Sing it out loud.